Uh, thank, good morning, Gateway. Uh, thank you for that prayer, Jay, and, and uh, the rest of you as well. As uh, Jay intimated, we are in a season of prayer. We are praying through the month of January. If you're visiting with us this morning, welcome. My name is Ed. I'm one of the pastors here. And by praying through the month of January, I mean we had a sign-up page, and we signed up hour by hour. And the goal was to, to pray over as many hours, literally, at, at Gateway as we could. And I am so encouraged and so proud to be associated with this church. Thank you. We have prayed, well, by the time we finish this week, the, the last day is Wednesday, we will have prayed over 700 hours in the month of January. And I'm not counting the double hours where two or three people were praying. I'm only counting that as one. And that, that is just, uh, well, I know that there have been various responses to this through this month. Some of you from the very beginning were like, yeah, oh, yeah, all in. I can't wait to pray for an hour. Others of you tentatively stepped in. Uh, sounds like a good thing. I think I'll try it. Or, oh, I've never done that before, but that was a lot of us. But, uh, you know, the church is trying to do this, so okay. I guess I'll try, and I want you to know all of that is good stuff. All of that is just stepping forward in faith. Thank you. Uh, some of you stood outside of that effort, but you listened in and you've watched. And I got to tell you, uh, if you just felt some kind of way about that, that's okay. And, and I want you to know, unless you rejected this and thought, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, you, we, we did this together. So thank you as well. I want to say a special thanks to, um, well, first, uh, over 175 people uh, signed up to prayer. And that's not counting. It's individuals who signed up. And that's not counting the, the groups. And we had several groups to pray. And there were individuals in those groups that didn't sign up individually. And last Sunday, Kidstown prayed during Kidstown for an hour. Our children prayed. And... Uh, uh, the youth prayed on Sunday evening. Yes, the kids and youth prayed for an hour. So overall, you know, we, we probably had more than 250 people involved in this. Uh, I know we did it with varying degrees of effectiveness. Some of you made it for 20 minutes. Some of you, uh, somebody told me uh, this week that, you know, they, they prayed for about 15 minutes and then fell asleep. And I told them, I heard... Uh, one of the most influential devotional writers, probably of all time, Catholic priest named Henry Nowen. I heard him speak many years ago, and he said, listen, I've got, a, I've got a key for you. If you go to pray and you fall asleep, you probably needed a nap. So that was a very good thing. Um, and I, all of that, just that, that effort to step in, that is good stuff that's God-honoring. Uh, again, special thanks to those who did serious work. A few of you prayed multiple hours every week, so thank you. Um, special thanks to uh, those of you who did this for the first time, <clears throat> and, and uh, many of us did. <clears throat> special thanks to those of you. We had, we had a number of you who would <clears throat> look at several times during the week at, at the list, and you would just find blank hours and jump in on those blank hours to make sure we were covered. Special thanks to you. Uh, we also, through this time, we produced a prayer blog, a, a little devotional thought, uh, 
saying uh, each day in January, they're really good if you haven't looked. Uh, thanks to those of you who wrote them, special thanks to Ruth for organizing that. I just want to say uh, today is the 28th. We finished this week, so let's finish strong. Uh, if you have not signed up yet, and you meant to, or you've been on the edge, but this morning you're thinking, okay, I'll try this. Go grab an hour, even if somebody's already praying on that hour. Try it. We've, we've, got a, we've got a guide that will help you work through the hour. So jump in. Secondly, um, the last hour this week will be 11 to midnight Wednesday. And John Elliott and I are praying at 11 to midnight this week. John is our bass player. By the way, Jordan told me uh, the other week that he took the 12 to 1 hour. Uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, John has done many of the 11 to 12 hours, by the way. Thank you, John. And when John was finishing his prayer, this is so cool. He texted Jordan because he could see that Jordan was after him. He texted Jordan, was like, you know, you're up, buddy, and sent him some kind of encouragement. Jordan was just moved. He said, it just launched me into prayer. So he looked and saw who was after him. One to two in the morning, Joe Benningfield. And Jordan, would just, he just felt moved. He just felt like connected to the body. And he just, he had this moment with God. And so I'm going to text Joe. So he texted Joe a similar thing that, that John had texted him and just thinking, I'm going to encourage my brother. And this is so awesome. And Joe he sends this message and he gets right back. Who is this? Anyway. Um, <clears throat> so John and I are praying 11 to midnight on uh, Wednesday night, and we're going to just, we've decided we're just going to create an open Zoom call. So if any of you would like to join on Wednesday night, 11 to 12, we'd love to have you. Gina will send out a link to that, and uh, if it's, you know, if it's more than 10 of us, we'll figure out how to do this. Um, so welcome. Finally, I want to say on Wednesday, we've been doing 7 to 8 uh, a.m. in the morning prayer time every day through January. We've had at least two people here uh, every day, and sometimes many more, just, uh, meeting in the front, in front of the fireplace, just praying and watching the sunrise. It's really beautiful. And we'll, we'll do it for the last time on Wednesday. Michelle is leading that, and she has encouraged me to encourage you uh, if you'd like to join us uh, 7 a.m. on Wednesday here. So let's finish strong, Gateway. All right. All um, right. Well, while we've been doing this uh, through the month in January, we've been, we've been uh, spending our time on Sunday mornings working our way through the Old Testament book of Joshua. And the, the, this book is the account of the Israelites who had left Egypt under Moses' leadership a generation earlier, had traveled through the desert, and now here they are. Moses has died, and they're, they're now under Joshua's leadership, and they are poised to go across the Jordan River and to wage war against the cities and settlements there, claiming for themselves uh, the land that God promised them generations earlier to the patriarch Abraham. And this is the account of that. And as we've been working through Joshua, it was an epic adventure for them. And as we've been working through it, we found that this story is a model for, for us for how to take on a new adventure, like each of us are doing this year, facing this year. Uh, Jay was talking about walking into 2024, and it's an adventure for all of us. We've identified some themes and principles that should guide us on, on, uh, on taking on something new. And special note, uh, the primary reason that we've been looking at this account 
in the book of Joshua is because we believe that this is a really important time for our church. And we believe that we together are on the cusp of taking on something new. That's part of the reason we've been praying. We've been seeking God about what that might be. We're looking for our next adventure. And as we wait, we need to make sure that we're ready to move forward. So this morning, we're going to cover a principle. It's just really, really important. Let me say a word about the principle that we're going to cover this morning. It's, it, I, I'm convinced that this, what we're going to talk about today, is where taking on something new begins. This is where it starts. I'm also convinced that we're pretty good at this as Americans. So as we listen to this, I think you'll get what I mean as I, I roll this out. We, we kind of get this principle as Americans in particular because of the way our, our culture is organized, where our government is organized, honestly. We get this principle. Uh, what I want you to think about as we go through this, because we're not going to explain this too thoroughly. I want to save some time for some pretty serious lab work at the end. Uh, but as we go through this, I want you thinking, first of all, about how shocking this principle would have been to much of the world outside of modern Western democracies, especially the ancient world. I also want you to think about the application of this principle to your spiritual life, because we often don't make that, that application. Uh, so we have talked over the last weeks about the need to be ready, to be brave, to uh, trust God's promises, to obey what he has said, and to build our life on, on his word. And we've talked about the importance of seeing God rightly, of really understanding who he is, and keeping that vision in front of us. And then last week, we talked about the very practical importance of remembering what God has done and of commemorating that, of celebrating what God has done. We talked about that, by the way, in the most practical terms. This is something celebrating what God has done. This is something that we, we need to discipline ourselves to do regularly. Well, today we're going to end our walk through the book of Joshua by looking at the very last chapter, chapter 24. And in chapter 24, at the end of his life, uh, Joshua's giving a final speech. He calls the nation to action. And what God says here through Joshua it's really been the subtext of almost everything he's said and done in all of his dealings uh, with human beings throughout history. But, but God has never been as clear as he is here about this action, about this theme. It's incredible, really. And God offers us here, as I said, the way to begin. Any, this is the starting point of any new venture. This is the posture we've got to have. So if you miss everything else today... Don't miss this. Moving healthily into what God has for us next begins with a new determination. Or for some of us, a renewed determination. Moving healthily into what God has for us next begins with a new determination. There is a choice to be made, and we have to make it. You and I will take hits this year. We may get a cancer diagnosis. Someone near to us may pass away. Our marriage may be threatened. We may lose our job or our company. We may be told we're terrible at what we do. We may be mistreated. And how we respond to those hits will be a choice. Our response will be the result of a determination on our part. 
you and I will experience some joys this year. We may find out that we're pregnant. We will hear some great news about one of our children. We'll, be, we'll get a tremendous job opportunity. We'll, we'll win the lottery. I know it's unlikely, but it could happen. Our ultimate response to those joys will be a choice. We, we, we may not even recognize it really, but we should. Our response will be the result of a determination on our part. We will decide. Let's hear how God says this through Joshua. We're going to look first at the middle of the chapter. Chapter 24 of Joshua, verses 14 and 15. And can you go old school with me and let's stand out of reverence for God's word. Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. Hear this. Now... He's come to the conclusion, and we'll get of a, a, a little brief historical survey. We'll go over that in a second. Now, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods of your ancestors that they served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. You may be seated. Okay, pause here. We have to recognize how incredible this is. The authors of this book, throughout it, the authors of this book, who were, by the way, reflecting on the things that God had said to them and how God had interacted with human beings. Overall, these authors have a very, very high view of the sovereignty of God. That's what, that's what this means. They believe that God is in control of everything, that God is the government of the universe, creator, sustainer, intervener, designer, executor. He plans and his plans prevail. As the Apostle Paul put it in the New Testament, he is the God who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. God, and these people were very big on that idea. And yet, and yet, Here he requires our agency. He requires our choice. Choose for yourselves this day whom you'll serve. I'm not going to make the choice for you. You choose. And what happens from here depends on your choice. You know, this is one of the ways that I think Protestants, especially those of us who are lowbrow Protestants, this is one of the ways that I think we get it right. We get a lot of things wrong, but I think we get this one kind of right. Here's what I mean. If you grew up Catholic, and and a lot of you did, and, and, and look, if you're a part of Gateway, you know that Catholic spirituality has been very influential in my life. I'm I'm personally indebted to it. I'm a big fan. But, But often, they get this wrong. And so do more liturgical churches. If you grew up in an Episcopalian or a, a, even a Lutheran or sometimes a Presbyterian background, you can live in that kind of experience. You can grow up in that kind of environment and get the impression that the main thing with Christianity is doing the institution, doing religion, doing the stuff, being observant. You will sometimes hear people from these environments say, well, I've always believed in God. By which they mean, I've always been around this stuff and I've I've had a sense, I've always, I've had a sense that there's something more. 
But that's not enough. Being in a Christian home doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in a garage makes you a car. You have to choose this. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. That's why the evangelist Billy Graham, some of you uh, know him. Billy Graham is not active anymore, obviously, passed away. But Billy Graham used to ask people to walk down the aisle at the end of his services. He was asking them to make a choice and to step into that choice. And once we choose, then it becomes a lifetime of choosing. It's not just one choice. It's a lifetime. It's a daily choice, a daily practice of choosing whom we will serve. I can't tell you how many times. Let me give you an aside illustration of this principle in our emotional lives. I can't tell you how many times I've heard one part of a marriage, many, many times, say to me, she makes me so angry. He makes me so angry. No. Nobody makes you angry. When you say that, you've surrendered far more than God intended for you to surrender. You have agency. He made you this way, and he requires that you use it, your agency, your choice. Nobody makes you. Your feelings are yours. They may be good, they may be damaging, but they are yours. And your actions are yours. I read an article a couple of weeks ago, written, by the way, by a, a political liberal. That, that's important if you follow this kind of stuff, because this, this person described our age, the age in which you and I are living, as, quote, the age of the victim, and he talked about how we have made ourselves, in all of our various causes, we have made ourselves victims based on our gender or based on our race. He acknowledged, of course, that there are very real problems in these areas, but never before, in his estimation, have we gone so far in using these issues as excuses for what's going on in our lives. I'm so oppressed. I'm so unsafe is the chattel call we hear constantly on college campuses these days. We tell ourselves this and we accompany it with, I just have no choice. So our feelings and our actions, even our destiny, are determined by outside forces. By the way, he also included conservative Christians in this list of groups who claim victimhood. He said this, Hardly a Sunday goes by that some pulpit is not dripping with self-pity at how Christians are being picked on in the culture. There's a fine line between acknowledging real problems, and they exist, and they do oppress us, versus allowing ourselves to become victims to those problems. God requires our agency. He requires our choosing. He requires our ownership. And let's make sure we get this. Ultimately, our choices always involve faith, especially the important ones. This is part of the reason the Bible speaks so much about faith. A part of our believing is our choosing, our agency. A part of our believing is our choosing, our, our agency. That's a, that's a part of what faith is. 
Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness, Joshua said, to begin this exhortation. And no matter which direction you choose on important issues, believing or not believing, moving forward with this decision or not moving forward with this decision, bitterness or resolve, distance or drawing near, no matter what choices we make, faith is involved. We can forget that sometimes, especially if any of you are sitting on the outside of Christianity this morning. You can forget this, but faith is involved for you as well. You can't prove your position. Even if it's an unbelieving position, you can't prove that any more than the Christian can prove hers. The ends cannot be proved or controlled. That's beyond us. No matter what your position is, it requires faith. The ends cannot be proved or controlled. Whatever choice we make, we must make a leap. But it's not a blind leap. I want you to look at uh, the first 13 verses of Joshua 24. You don't have to stand for this, but uh, we'll skip over some of this. Uh, Dean, go to that next scripture section, Joshua 24. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem, he summoned the elders, leaders, judges, officials of Israel, and presented themselves before the Lord. Uh, Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. And then what he does here is he goes through an historical catalog of all that God had done, some of which they saw, some of which they just heard from their parents and grandparents. Long ago, uh, God of Israel said, long ago, uh, ancestors including Terah of Abraham and Nahor lived beyond the Euphrates, uh, but I took your father Abraham from land beyond the Euphrates, blah, blah, blah. I gave him Isaac. Uh, to Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. I signed the hill country of Seir to Esau, but the family of Jacob went down to Egypt. Next slide, Dean. Then I sent Moses and Aaron. I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there. I brought you out. When I brought you, your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea. The Egyptians pursued them, but, the Lord, but they cried to the Lord for help. And he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea and covered them. You saw this with your own eyes, what I did to the Egyptians. They lived in the wilderness for a long time. I brought you up to the land of the Amorites. He goes through more here down to verse 11. Then you crossed you. You crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, Jebusites. But I gave them all into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you. Said verse 13. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil, and cities you did not build. I gave it to you. You live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Here's the point. You've heard about this stuff. You've seen some of this stuff. So, based on that history, choose this day who you'll serve. Based on what you've seen me do, choose this day who you'll serve. You'll serve the gods that your own hands defeated with my power, or you'll serve me. Now look, they could not, these Israelites could not absolutely prove that God was involved in what had happened to them. Maybe the Jordan River had dried up exactly when they wanted it to, coincidentally. Seriously. Maybe it was a coincidence. Besides, why didn't those things always happen when, exactly when they wanted them to? They couldn't prove it. But they had, they had seen some amazing stuff and it sure didn't seem like a coincidence. They couldn't control the future. 
Was God going to continue to watch over them? Was he going to continue to provide for them? They couldn't prove it. They couldn't control it. Choosing God was a leap of faith, but it wasn't a blind leap. It was based on some pretty good evidence. It was based on history. And that's true for us as well. You know, there is a Wikipedia post for the phrase leap of faith. I don't know why that surprised me, but it did. <laughs> is there a Wikipedia post for everything? And, and uh, the post rightly attributed the phrase leap of faith to uh, the philosopher, it said, Soren Kierkegaard. Only he wasn't really a philosopher. He was a Danish theologian. And according to Wikipedia, according to this post, a leap of faith is the act of believing in, in something or accepting something not on the basis of reason. Believing something or accepting something not on the basis of reason. And that's a pretty good understanding of how we use the phrase leap of faith. But that's not what Kierkegaard thought. For Kierkegaard, faith is a leap not because reason is not involved. It's a leap because we have to go beyond reason. No matter what choice we make, to move or not to move, to marry this person or not marry this person, to believe in God or not believe in God, those choices move us beyond reason. Either way, we should not, we cannot abandon our reason. And by the way, if you'd like to hear reasons for believing in God, sometime let me know. I'd, I'd be happy to supply that. I mean, actual arguments, reasonable lines of thinking that favor belief in God, but you can't get there by reason alone. So a leap is involved, but not a blind leap. Choose this day, Israelites, whom you will serve. Choose this day, gateway, whom you will serve. Moving healthily into whatever God has for us next begins with a renewed determination to make that choice. Some of you have heard me say that uh, one of my heroes is a, an American pastor and, and a college professor and theologian, Jonathan Edwards. And when Edwards was a young man, Edwards wrote out a list of resolutions that became famous because they, they really guided his entire life. He was an incredibly disciplined guy. I want, you to, I want to read for you two of Edwards' resolutions. He wrote these as a young man. One, I will live for God. Two, if no one else does, I still will. This is the spirit of the declaration that we're going to make today. So we have ended our service each uh, week during the month of January by making a declaration together. And I've encouraged us to speak to our own souls, to stir our own souls and our own hearts. We're going to end today again with a declaration, and then we're going to do some lab work around the declarations, three of the four declarations that we've made this month, during the month of January. So today we're going to declare, I will choose to serve the Lord without compromise. Let's stand together. All right, I want you to take 30 seconds and just be real as you can in this moment. I want you to acknowledge in the first 10 seconds the, the, the difficulties that you're facing. For some of you, those difficulties are, are physical. For some of you, those difficulties are relational. For some of you, those difficulties are financial, uh, health, um, family, 
or several categories. And then I want you to spend 20 seconds thinking about God's activity in your life. He's been there. You've seen it. All right. Choir, let's make this declaration together on three. One, two, three. So I'm going to ask you a question and, or questions, and you're going to respond with this declaration. I'm, and you at home as well. Say it out loud. Uh, you are going to face some serious difficulty this year. But there are going to be joys this year and opportunities for you to be so elated you can forget the source of those joys. But there are going to be uh, challenges for all of us physically. And the older you are, the more likely you are for those challenges to be uh, extensive <laughs> and to last for a while. But there are going to be times this year when you don't, you're going to stand with Jay at the beginning of January, and you don't sense God's presence at all. You just feel, even when you pray, you feel like you're talking to the ceiling, but, okay, and they meant it. Uh, so now I want you to be obnoxious, and it, this can be to someone that you came with, but I want, or, or the, someone who's sitting behind, beside you. I don't care if you don't know them. That's really obnoxious, but I don't care if you don't know them. I want you to turn to somebody and say, you made a choice, and then sit down. <laughs> let's do some lab work. Uh, let's take a few moments. Take a deep breath. Boys and girls, we have a few boys and girls in with us this morning. Thank you so much. You guys have been awesome. We have some boys and girls in with us this morning because we are seriously challenged upstairs. They have pulled every staff person, a few cats and dogs, and some people off the street to help upstairs. Uh, we had a number of people who were sick, a number of people who couldn't be here today, and we don't have a very deep bench. We need some of you to sign up. Help serve our kids. Um, so we're going to begin with week one's declaration uh, that we made together the first week of, of uh, January. We said, I will build my life on God's promises and, and obedience, on obedience to his commands. I'd like for you to do this if, you, if you're able. Let's, let's give you a couple options. I just, this is a, a, a sign of, um, of, of, of prostration. Let's, let's, put our head in our hands on our lap, or let's get on our knees. And let's do, a, let's do a couple of minutes. If you're able to get on your knees, get on your knees. And if you're not, just bow or put your head in your hands. And uh, let's do some work with this. So change your posture right now and just get in a position of... Yes, thank you. First of all, let's do some head work. What... Uh, what are the greatest challenges to living out this declaration? I will build my life on God's promises and on obedience to his commands. What, what are the, just think about it for a minute. What are the greatest challenges? Think about how you spend your time. Are, are you tempted to build your life on your achievements or on your family or on, on uh, your bank account? Or think about, think about your thought life. 
Are you tempted to build your life on uh, your pride or on your anger or on your lust or on your greed? What are the, what are, what are the challenges to you to living out this declaration? Give that a moment of thought. Father, we put aside all challengers. We confess that there have been days, weeks, most of our life, we have built our life or a part of our life on something else. We've drawn our sense of life from something else. This morning we declare, we will build our life on your promises and on, in obedience to what you have said to us. We'll build our life on that. Let's do a little bit of heart work, and I, I want you to use your imagination, if you would. Um, bu build a structure in your minds uh, that, that represents the promises of God and your obedience to him. Just literally in your mind, imagine some kind of structure. What is it made of? What does it look like? What, what is the structure? And after you finish the structure, I want you to, depending on what you've built, I want you to either be on top of it or I want you to be inside it. And I want you to feel yourself firmly planted right there. Own it. Jesus, I will build my life on the promises that you've made and on obedience to what you have said. Amen. Now let's stand together. Our second declaration was, I recognize that God is supreme and I gladly give him my allegiance. Let's say that together. I recognize that God is supreme and I gladly give him my allegiance. I'm going to ask you to uh, close your eyes and uh, observe some sign of obedience and allegiance. It might be... Uh, Prayer, prayer hands, or a lifted hand, or a salute, or whatever would signify obedience and allegiance in your mind. And uh, let's close our eyes and do a little bit of work here. All right, I want you to think through various aspects of your life. Uh, your family, if you're married, that family. children, if you have children, your work, your leisure, your health, your finances, your emotional life, your thought life. And just for a moment, let's give each of those to declare his supremacy over each area of, their, of your life. Declare him supreme over each area.
and holy and sovereign and good. We bow before your throne. You're the king. We give you our allegiance. Thank you.